Today's businesses are fueled by apps. So apps need to be developed fast and reimagined constantly to keep up with the rapid changes of today's world. But whether those changes come from normal disruptions and market shifts or from an unprecedented event like the COVID-19 pandemic, apps will continue to enable organizations to be adaptable and agile. So it's critically important that those apps remain secure. Too often, however, developers lack the security hyper-awareness that's so essential. And many apps continue to include security flaws that are decades old. Peter Danhue is determined to change all that. As CEO of Secure Code Warrior, a rising Australian DevSecOps startup, he aims to build security into every step of the app lifecycle, from development to operations to updates. And he's using a methodology that combines training, automated testing, culture change, and fun. This is Kevin Delaney for Cisco TechBeat. I spoke with Peter about Secure Code Warrior's mission to help developers eliminate vulnerabilities at the earliest stages, avoid costly fixes and breaches later on, and enable a more secure future overall. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Okay, so great to have you, Peter. Thanks again. Before getting into the security side of things, maybe we could start with a 20,000-foot view of DevOps in general. From your perspective, how important has its impact been? So I think the whole move to DevOps has been really important for companies to be able to move faster and and build faster code and make make sure they can kind of iterate over uh, products really quickly rather than the old school way of... uh, building things over months and then doing like one or two releases a year. So I think for, for from a consumer's perspective, um, I think it's really awesome to see my apps updating every single week, my car software seeing uh, updating every week. And I think that would not have been possible um, without, uh, without Dev- DevOps practices. A lot of your cybersecurity experience prior to Secure Code Warriors was was focused on penetration testing, ethical hacking to expose vulnerabilities. I'm sure that pretty early on you began to trace many of those flaws and vulnerabilities back to the developer stage. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of the drivers for starting the company. I uh, I started in uh, cybersecurity early 2000, and it was mainly on the offensive side, breaking into systems, trying to understand them, finding flaws, and then pointing out the flaws. And I think I think after roughly 13 or 14 years of doing that, and and having built teams uh, and teaching people how to do that, I kind of got a bit frustrated. Um, with the fact that I that I thought I wasn't really helping anyone, I was just kind of pointing out problems to people and then kind of moving away. I was I was one of those bad security people that said, "Hey, there's a problem there," but I I wasn't really fixing the issue. And I think at a certain point in time, I uh, I probably felt that there was a bigger mission here to try and help people actually fix or fix the problems that that I was pointing out. And I think a lot of them led back to software and software development and developers and the fact that developers weren't really aware about some of these common basic mistakes. Uh, and, and that's kind of the whole the whole intro on why we started Secure Code Warrior. In recent years, the whole coding software apps to operations supply chain has gotten a whole lot more complex, hasn't it? There's, as you said just a minute ago, there's a constant need for new apps, updates, and changes, and that opens up a lot of new headaches for IT and security teams, doesn't it? 
It it does. It does because the releases are 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 quick. There's new technologies. There's cloud. There's also um, the continuous evolving programming languages. Like looking back 20 years ago, everybody was probably just programming on C and Java. Um, but now there are literally 50, 60 different programming languages and frameworks. And uh, and there's a lot of open source software uh, that people are just reusing um, and not really reading or checking that open source software. And I think all of that ha has led to a really complex landscape where security is probably different in every single one of those languages. Um, and, and that's what's making uh, solving this problem not easy. Yeah, at Cisco... We talk about pervasive security and end-to-end -end solutions. Security is so important that you can't leave any stone unturned and you can't simply bolt it on at the end of the process. You're working to close some critical gaps. So what are some of the strategies for making security pervasive from the designer stage to the operation stage? If you think back... Um when uh, we humans kind of build our first bridges or our first houses 2,000 years ago, I'm pretty sure those houses weren't really constructed with safety and security in mind. Um, it was just functional stuff. We, we built something to go from one location to another one. And then it took us about 2,000 years of engineering knowledge to figure out that we need to build bridges that are safe and robust and sustainable and people can kind of safely walk over them. But, but that's kind of knowledge we've gained in 2,000 years to make these bridges as safe as they are today or the houses as safe as they are today. And I think if you look at software engineering, it's a, it's a profession which is, what, 50 years old, 60 years old maximum? And that means we are still in those initial phases of, hey, we're, being, we're building things functional, we're building things fast, but we haven't really thought about safety or security uh, much. And I think that's that's one of the things we want to change is I want to make sure that the people that are uh, building the bridge, the engineers that are building the software, that uh, that they understand that they then that they think about uh, the security of their code, the data they're storing, how they need to protect consumers, and not kind of leaving that as a job for an expert or somebody that has been doing this for a year. Because I think that is a, that is not sustainable, not scalable, and probably not the right way either. To, uh, to build software. As you said, you can't really bolt it on at, uh, at the end. It needs to be something that is built in from, uh, from the start. To do that, you're combining a lot of different elements from automation to specific controls around, around processes and testing to, to, to training. How do you tie all that together? So for us, this step one of trying to solve any type of problem is making sure that people are aware about the problem, that they understand that security is part of their job. So we've kind of built um, this gamified online uh, environment where we can get security people and developers together and they can basically have like a competition or something that kind of makes them aware that that, that security is part of the whole software development lifecycle. Then I think we, we we started building training modules, which are all hands-on, but also uh, language and framework specific. So whether you are a C++ developer or a COBOL developer, or you're doing Java or Go, one of those newest languages, we wanted to show you how security works in that specific framework. And I think that's a really important point because um, developers, they want to understand security but it's all different in every single one of those languages. And I think we've kind of went through 
um, the level of trying to uh, build modules that that they can learn in their own language. Then I think we started building uh, modules to assess developers to kind of verify that they have the skills. And now we've kind of are moving in the tooling where we've integrated into their development environments. Um, things like IDEs uh, that developers are using or tools like issue trackers and tickets trackers like GitHub and Jira and so on. And we started to build in things inside those tools to make security an, um, an, an easier thing to kind of work with and, and to kind of fix. When I talk to CIOs, they often say that culture change is among the hardest aspects of what they do. You're asking professionals like software developers to change the way they work, and you're asking often siloed teams to work together. How do you ensure success on that human level? Yeah, so culture changes, set the awareness is really important. I think um, we have used concepts of capture the flags and gamification and um, putting security in a kind of a positive light rather than in a negative environment. Because if you, if you, if you look at a typical organization that has been doing security, when do the security people get in touch with the developers? When there's something wrong. When they found a problem that needs to be fixed. And that's kind of the touch point from uh, the security people with the developers saying, hey, you've kind of made this mistake. And we need to fix it as urgently as possible because else we can't launch your product. That that whole contact, that whole communication is is always negative. There's there's never been a developer that says, oh, yes, you just found a security problem in my code. Um, let me drop all my current work and urgently fix this issue. Like that, that is not a fun experience. And we we tried to change that and said, well, security doesn't always need to be scary or negative. Let the first touch point between security and the developers be something positive, where uh, they can cross-educate each other, where they can work together on these security problems and where they can learn and have like a fun experience. And I think that's kind of been one of the successes that I've heard from my customers is when they um, deploy what we call our tournament mode that they kind of bring security and development uh, together. And I think that's step one of uh, of the culture change making sure that these two these two isolated groups of people they talk with each other they start trusting each other and that they understand that they're both there to help each other rather than being an adversary and uh, and kind of pointing out negative problems yeah because devops is as we said is all about speed and agility and i'm sure you've encountered times when People may balk at bringing this whole other layer of security into the process. It sounds like you've got a good way of uh, introducing it, though. Well, what we try to do is not overload the developers with saying, hey, here are like a million things you need to learn and we want to make you a security expert. I don't think that is the purpose. But if you look at most security issues that are being identified still today in most applications and software, you can probably count them on one or two hands. There might be five or 10 things that are continuously and repeatedly coming back in different forms, different shapes, written by different developers. So what you don't want to do is make your developer a security expert. What you want to do is make sure that these developers understand the top three or the top four most common issues that are coming back. And if you can help the developer understand a 
what the problem is, B, what the impact is, and C, how to fix or avoid writing that issue in his or her programming language, you can help the developer with speeding up his development. Because the less security bugs the developer is writing, the less pushback he'll get from security and the faster his code can kind of go into production. And he's not really interrupted by the security guys to come and fix it. So I think it is it is an approach that we have successfully tried to give the minimal amount of security knowledge to the developer to make sure that they can go faster rather than kind of being slowed down by security and their tools. Yeah, and of course, security teams are famously strapped in terms of time, talent, funding. You're really supporting them in a different way. You're you're making their lives easier in the in the end. Yes, I think that's one of the challenges that um, we run into is that there is often only one security person for 300 to 500 developers. So that means that one person might have a day a year for every single developer in the organization, something which is completely not scalable. Now, in the past, in the old days, when we were working in, in waterfall models, you could easily have 500 developers working on projects. And at the end, you kind of bring in that one security person to do testing and to make sure that nothing goes wrong. Now, the whole move to DevOps and Agile and rapid releases has completely screwed up that model because that one person is just doesn't have the scalability and doesn't have the bandwidth to get involved every single week and every single release and test every single new feature that is being built by those developers. And I think that's one of the reasons why organizations are saying, well, we, we need we need to break with the old model of bolting things at the in, in the past and centralizing security. And we want to try and push security skills to developers and make sure that they kind of take ownership uh, of that and that they know how to avoid writing some of those mistakes. When you think about the consequences of some of those mistakes down the road, I'm sure that the budget allocated for for DevSecOps, for the work that you're doing, is a whole lot cheaper in the long run. I think organizations understand that if they get breached um, by a simple security mistake, it's an expensive exercise but the, the, I think the real, the real cost that not many people know is that the, uh, the, the savings that an organization does by not going through that continuous feedback loop of writing software, identifying security vulnerabilities, then going back to the developer, fixing them, going again through that whole cycle that kind of slows down uh, the software development. If you can cut that short by saying, we're going to help the developer avoid writing those top three or four mistakes. You're actually saving a lot of um, um, resources and time, and you can speed up your software development. And I think that's where the real cost benefit is, not really focusing on a single event of a data breach. At the same time, uh, a lot of maturing technologies like Internet of Things and 5G, they're promising some 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 great opportunities and changes, but they also create new security problems if they're not implemented properly. Do you see your work helping to enable those technologies to have a greater impact moving forward? Uh, absolutely. I think well, one of the things that is a bit scary to me is that um, because now all these Internet of Things, like the washing machines, the dryers, the coffee machines that are all now running software, we are starting to see security weaknesses from from the from the 90s 
coming back in those kind of software because they are usually using uh, either embedded languages or old languages, and this and the same security mistakes of 20 years ago are reappearing in all those uh, new uh, new technologies because they're they're not web applications anymore. They're very often old. Uh, their their protocols, their interfaces, their APIs, their their embedded systems, and we see in in bug bounty programs, we see a lot of these um, uh, old school vulnerabilities reappearing in this new technology, which, to be honest, is um, yeah, scares me a little bit. But again, you're you're approaching it from the source. That's it's really the way to address some of these problems, isn't it? I, I think yeah, the 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 core problems kind of the core the core opportunity is helping that developer that is writing IoT software to make sure that that they understand about these old school problems. So Cisco is one of your main investors. What are some of the advantages for secure code warriors in their relationship? And and how do you see Cisco benefiting as well? So I think the benefits from our side, um, I'll start with that. Cisco is a very well-known brand in network, uh, network infrastructure, and it has provided a lot of credibility in the market for us as a company. Um, we are a startup out of Australia, like far away from everyone else. And I think uh, until before the round with Cisco and Goldman Sachs, we were kind of viewed as like this stranger, strange company somewhere in Australia that that was making a little bit of noise. But I think um, our, our latest investment round has really um, has really changed that. People started looking at us seriously and they started taking us seriously. Um, so that's, that's definitely a big positive for us. Um, I see potential as well with Cisco as a customer because they are they they are maintaining and building a lot of the networks uh, around the world with their devices. And I know that Cisco has, uh, I think, roughly 40,000 developers. So uh, that's another benefit for us is that we are working together to kind of figure out whether we can get all those developers through uh, our program as well. And then I think the third benefit from our side is Cisco has an extremely powerful uh, partner or reseller network. Um, and if we manage to kind of enable that channel uh, to start thinking about application security and bringing us in front of some of the Cisco customers, that could also accelerate our growth uh, significantly. Um, I think from the side from Cisco, knowing that um, Cisco is is continuously evolving and changing and is kind of moving more and, and realizing that that they're kind of moving uh, from infrastructure layer and also starting to add or, or pay more attention to applications that are running in, in production. I think AppDynamics uh, was one of the acquisitions that you guys did uh, last year uh, that is kind of demonstrating that Cisco is moving in that direction. And that means that Cisco uh, is getting or wanting to get more closer to people that are writing software and running software and having an influence in that whole DevSecOps space. And I think uh, we'll be able to help Cisco uh, position them better with the developers uh, and giving developers a positive experience around security. Cybersecurity is a problem that's not going away soon, especially as AI and other new technologies up the ante for defenders and attackers alike. What trends do you see on the horizon for security in general and for the work that you're doing specifically moving forward? One thing that is very obvious is that 
there's just not enough um, skilled cybersecurity people, both people that prevent attacks, but also detect attacks and respond to attacks. So we'll have to find a way on how to either um, train new students really quickly, which I think takes always a long time. Uh, so we'll have to find a way on how to reskill existing uh, workforces, taking n normal people that are working in normal IT jobs and kind of making sure that they they get retrained in cybersecurity and um, that that they kind of become part of the cybersecurity workforce. I think that's one of the only ways on how we will be able to, um, to scale security very quickly. Um, and I think the reason why that is necessary is because if, if you kind of look back, security was something first for a bunch of geeks and then hackers, and then it kind of became um, part of cyber criminals and then government started to get involved. Um, so the amount of people that are trying to do harm and malicious things um, by abusing uh, cybersecurity problems is just getting larger and larger. There's more and more people and countries that are preparing for these kind of a cyber wars and cyber attacks. And I think that added with the technology that is always getting bigger and complexer and everything is running more and more in software. And now the average house has uh, 20 or 30 devices that are all connected, that are all running IoT software. I think that that, that personally scares me a lot as well. On the flip side, if it's used right, technology can enable so much growth and positive change in society, opportunity, inclusion, even sustainability for the planet if it's used right again. But cyber attacks can undermine all that. Do you see yourself as part of a bigger mission at Secure Code Warriors? Yeah, so I think the reason why most of my staff kind of jumped on this journey is because uh, a lot of them are security people in a very similar situation like me, like kind of finding themselves in a situation where we weren't really finding that we were helping people. Um, and I think that's why um, there, I think there's roughly 23 million developers on the planet today, and it's growing with millions every single year. Uh, I think they predict to go to 25 million in about three or five, three or four years. So most companies are turning into software companies. Banks, they hire thousands of developers each year. Tesla is actually a software company, not really a, a car manufacturer. Um, and I think, so the world is kind of being eaten by software and everything is turning into a software company. Um, so we do see ourselves, or we do have, have our mission to try and help and reach every single developer around the, on, on the planet to make sure that they at least don't make mistakes anymore that are 20 years old. I think once I'm comfortable with that, that we need to, we need to only care about the threats that exist today and we don't kind of need to look back to software mistakes that are 20 years old and then that we've known the solution for 20 years for. If every single developer on the planet kind of understands that concept, and I think I'll be I'll be happy now. I feel that my, my mission is kind of completed. This is Kevin Delaney for Cisco Tech B. My very special thanks to Peter Dan here of Secure Code Warrior for a great conversation. If you'd like to hear more Cisco Tech Beat podcasts, subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, and feel free to leave a comment. We'd love to start a discussion.